Welcome to the Camerosity Podcast, the first ever open source film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ackman. And for this, our fourth episode, we have a special guest from Yellow Springs, Ohio, Mr. Paul Reibold. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you, Mike? I'd like to also welcome back Mr. Anthony Rue from Gainesville, Florida. Hey, Anthony. Hello, everybody. Hello. And uh, also returning is from Sydney, Australia, Mr. Theo Panagopoulos. Hey, Theo. Oh, good day, everyone. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um, you know, something I, I, I meant to cover in the last show and it just slipped my mind because we were having so much fun is um, I had a couple people in, the, in the, the comment section ask about, you know, what, what's the story with with last episode being episode three, um, even though I'm saying it was the first Camerosity podcast. And, you know, I had been wanting to do something like this with Johnny Sisson for quite a while. And uh, this past spring in May, we just with like no notice at all said, hey, let's try doing a podcast with uh, with with no planning, just invite a bunch of people and see what happens. And he he came up with this crazy cocaine and waffles name. Uh, and we, we tried to make it the most like anti, you know, typical film photography podcast we could. Um, and it, it was suitably chaotic. It was very chaotic. Yeah. Uh, that first episode, we had Cheyenne Morrison on. And we didn't realize this at the beginning, but it turns out he was in a client's home uh, recording a podcast with us. And at one point he had to leave, uh, but he never muted himself. So throughout <laughs> random parts of that episode, you could hear him talking in the background. And uh, I think at one point, didn't we make a dig at him or something? And he heard us. He's like, yes. oi, oi, I heard that. Uh, was that the Australian accent? There, Mike. Yeah, that was my uh, Aussie man accent. My really, really bad one. Um, but then we did a second one. We had so much fun. We did the second one. And Theo, I invited you like with like 10 minutes before we started. Wasn't that about how much yes. warning you had? Yes. And that was intentional. Like I didn't want people to like think too much. Uh, the second one was a little bit less crazy, but we had some really great guests. I mean, we had uh, we had Rick Olison. Um, you know, he Rick does the bright screens uh, for you know TLRs and medium format SLRs. We had Vlad Kern from USSR Photo, uh, Mark Faulkner. He was on last week's show. Um, so it, we really enjoyed those two first episodes, and I thought that they were really good. Um, and I wanted to start something new, and it, it took until you know fall almost the end of summer before i finally got around to being able to do camerosity but i thought that for those first two could be like the pilot episodes for this and you know um, they're both hosted on the classic lenses podcast page um but you know i'm considering those episodes one and two so we started last week with um episode two weeks ago episode three uh (laughs) we didn't have a show last week because we did and um i already had the uh what they call that hazing uh, the ritual, you know, initiation for podcast creators. And uh, I didn't have it recording. So uh, unfortunately, <laughs> no one except the people on it got a chance to hear last week's show. But we're going to make was, it. Up it was brilliant. You. I mean, that's the thing is it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, was, I thought I was stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, <laughs> Paul was uh, uh, good enough to, to welcome us or to come back. Um, so that's the story on episode three and four. Uh, I can clearly see it's recording right now. My eight-year-old son already came down earlier to remind me to hit the record button. So I think we're <laughs> all good. Um, but the reason, um, I mean, in addition to Paul being infinitely uh, insightful and, and has a ton of great stories of his own to share, uh, but we were talking in the last episode um, about a, a particular camera that you had for sale 
uh, the Fuji 617 and, and Anthony wanted to sell well, a bass guitar, was it? Yeah, I had a, a, a Fender Mustang short scale bass that I uh, would have gladly have sold on a quick, you know, quick flip to be able to, to fund it because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a panoramic fanatic. I worked in film and motion picture film for years and that, that, that the widescreen, you know, the Sergio yeah. Leone framing of the widescreen is, 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 is how I think about film. And uh, I just need to get back to getting a, a decent, large format panoramic camera one day. Not this one. Right. There'll be others. You'll get to keep your base, I guess, for a little <laughs> bit longer. So so how'd that go with selling that that Fuji, Paul? It went well. You know, it was one of those deals. I, I happened to ha- I had a uh, Hasselblad Superwide that uh, I wasn't using. And, and I, I realized I've, I've owned like four of them for about a week each. And uh, I realized it just wasn't for me. And I found a guy that had the G617, had 400 exposures on it. And so we traded and uh, it was a Facebook marketplace deal, which is always a little scary to do a trade. Yeah, I bet. Someone that you can't, you don't really know. So what we wound up doing was I paid him $1,000 PayPal. He paid me $1,000 PayPal and we shipped the cameras. So it cost us each 30 bucks a piece for fees. But uh, he was happy with the super wide and I was happy with the G617. Happy enough to keep it for a month anyway. (laughs) <laughs> um, so what I was shot, it like shooting? I shot two rolls and it was a cool camera. I mean, it, uh, it, it makes a two and a quarter by six and a half inch, uh, negative. And, wow. uh, it was sharp as a tack. It, it's, it is an exceptionally weird camera because you, you really got to follow the workflow. There's just, you yeah. got to do everything in the right sequence, uh, to make it work, but it, it was fun. And uh, I, the guy I, I assume it has to be uh, shot on a tripod. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I was working, I was doing half second exposures. Oof, I was, uh, yeah. I was in a, a dark place, uh, but, uh, I've owned a, a number of Noblexes, the pro one fifties and, and those cameras and uh, a Panon, um, and some others. And, and I think this is probably the most reliable one I've used because it, there's, there are so few moving parts. I mean, nothing yeah. is, nothing is rotating on it. Like you, like you do with the, uh, the movable lens cameras. Yeah, I, I, I flinched on an auction for one of the old Kodak swing lens. Uh, you know, it was, it was only $500, but it was like 95 years old. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's just like, oh, I could probably get a dozen shots on it before it would probably explode on me. The one that I reviewed on my site many years ago, um, the lens, actually, the, the I guess it's still bellows, right? I mean, is that what you would call that? Yeah. The, right. the leather? Because it, it's, it's like a like a loose rag. You know, it, it doesn't fold. But anyway, uh, that all looked good. The The speed of the shutter seemed to be okay, but the box was just falling apart. Was you it know? an Alvista by any chance? No, it was the Kodak Panorama Kodak. before. Okay. Uh, but it, there's two different variations of that camera. One where the entire back just pulls out from the front. But then there's another one where there's doors that on the back that folds down and two on each side that fold out. So there's right. three separate hinges. That's, and the hinge is essentially just cloth covered in leather. And it was just degraded. I think one of them was like tearing and I had no absolutely faith at this thing being light tight. So I wrapped the entire camera in a black garbage bag and I, <laughs> I cut a hole like and taped it with electrical tape because the swing lens area has like a metal frame. So I was able to tape the plastic bag to the metal frame, 
I cut a tiny little hole for the little spirit level viewfinder uh, and a tiny little hole for the advanced knob and a tiny little hole for the exposure window. Um, but basically, I was walking around with a garbage bag with a camera inside of it. And <laughs> I tell you, fuck out the it worked. I mean, it, it worked. You know, I only ended up shooting one roll of film in that camera, and I really wish I would have done more. Uh, but I got decent shots from it. You know, there were no light leaks. So uh, that's a, 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 a camera hack. <laughs> okay, so on that camera, did the lens move? Yeah. The lens would move. Uh -huh. I've got an Alvista Model 5, I think, right now on my website on the eBay store. And it was a uh, it is a swing lens camera yeah. too. Yeah, I think it takes uh, eight twenty six sixteen or one sixteen, some odd roll film, and uh, it's uh, I'm amazed it works because the, I mean that it's a flexible bellows and and uh, it has little veins that stick onto the top of it that control the shutter speed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so and it has the full set of veins. I, yeah. I'm not, the the, the panoram, like I didn't take it apart, but there's really only two speeds, like fast and slow. And it has to do with where you move the cocking lever. Mm -hmm. If you move the cocking lever like halfway, that's the slow speed. If you move it all the way, which you can feel like a spring being tensioned more, you're just pulling the, str the spring tighter so that when you release the shutter, it spins around faster because it's got more tension. So that's really the only way of controlling the speed. You know, the the Tokarev, the Soviet FT2, is is almost is like the opposite in the sense that the shutter really only has one speed. But how you achieve different speeds is there's brakes on it. Oh, there's there's right. actually there's a high brake and a low brake, and they're controlled by these little levers. And depending <laughs> on which combination of lever you have actuated, will actually slow the motion of the swinging lens down to get slower speed. So. But with the brakes off, you're just at whatever the natural speed is. Like they call it one four hundredth. Um, you know, I, I've got the Horizon, the uh, original metal version of the the Soviet Horizon, and it has thirty and sixty and yours goes to two hundred. Yeah, but Most the only difference don't. that the only difference that I can tell is that you get a clear picture when you shoot it at a thirtieth, and you put it at two hundred, and you get nothing but lines, like horizontal lines. Yeah, like the banding. It's not. It's not. It's not the perpendicular banding. It's the horizontal banding, uh, just completely unusable. Uh, but like today, I was shooting in, in bright Florida sun. I was shooting it with uh, um, Cosmo Mono uh, one hundred uh, at thirtieth of a second in f sixteen, and I got perfect exposures all the way across the board. So I don't know what that thirtieth of a second actually is, but I didn't it's have like a hundredth or two hundredth. It sounds like I didn't have a single hot frame. Hmm. Well, any panoramic like swing lens camera, the speeds are just like approximate because <laughs> the lens, the, the total, like even at a one sixtieth exposure, the total time the film is exposed is still like half a second. You know, because right. the, the the lens has to physically move. So right. you're only exposing a slit of film for one sixtieth or whatever you've selected, but the entire exposure, it's like, Paul, you were talking before about the circuit cameras, right? You know, those things, the exposure could take what, five seconds or more. Oh, it could take longer than that. 15 seconds, 15 seconds. People would, would on the size. wouldn't they run around the back of the camera? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah, would we had uh, at, at, in, in the town where I live, there's a small college and, we had a, a photographer from a nearby town would come in once a year and do a class picture. 
and uh, the hot setup was to be on the one end on your motorcycle. And when the camera left, you ride around behind the photographer and get on the other end. So you're, you're actually in the picture twice. And in a circuit camera, the entire camera moves, not just the lens. Yes. Yeah. It's on a gear. It's on a geared track. You ever see any of those done in Australia, Theo? Anybody? No, I haven't, haven't seen anything like that. I mean, I, I must admit, um, I'm trying to sort of reconcile that, what you just said in terms of the, the 60th of a second on a slot that goes across the frame. Have you, and that's, ha- is, that's similar to what some of the digital cameras do with the electronic shutters, isn't it? When you go yes. beyond the, the, the speed where they, they, they literally, you know, and then why you end up with those funny little, you know, people's faces being warped and stuff like that yeah. when you use those. So that's 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 a calculation. I I just can't get it's, my. Right. I've I've actually gone the other way. I've actually had put a new purchase in this week. Um, for oh. I've I've gotten the Pano um, bug, and I fronted up some money to get the panoramic kit for the Mamiya Seven. So oh, wow. I I don't need to worry about that. I mean, it's thirty five <laughs> millimeter, but I don't need to worry about that calculation on that. Um that uh that's lit and it's actually i'm quite excited i haven't received it yet but i'm really excited because it gives you the same size as an x-pan mm-hmm. so um so it's, it's a mask it's, that goes in the film compartment it's a mask that goes in the film compartment okay. plus attachments to allow 35 millimeter film okay. to go through oh, wow. and and another attachment to wind it back into the canister so you don't have to do it in the dark the the, the beauty of it, too, is a lot of people don't put the mask in. They put the attachments in, but not the mask. And because it's native 6 by 7 um, frames, you end up getting the sprocket holes um, yeah. being shot as well. So um, so I'll have a little bit of experimentation there, but I'm quite excited because when I did use the X-Pan, when I borrowed the X-Pan and used it, I was actually really sort of got the bug a little bit, but I thought I can't spend five grand on this instead of spent yeah. about nine hundred dollars now on the on a kit just to add to the to a very expensive Mamiya seven. Well you know 2020 was my year to learn large format and so I ended up with a Birkin James press camera and then a uh, super graphic. And don't they make I mean I, I seem to remember that there was a pano back that you can get for the four by five, isn't there? And I just don't know enough about like graphlex backs, but uh, maybe it was Horseman or somebody was making like a 617 back for a 4x5. They have panoramic uh, adapters for Rolleiflex. 612, I think. 612. 612? Yeah. Yeah. They, you you, know, the, they, they probably, probably made every, Back then, they probably made everything panoramic, to be honest with you. Well, they had banquet cameras uh, that were uh, panorama type. Uh, banquet camera would have been 8 by. 8 by 16 or 8 by 12, 8 inches by 12 inches. So you were contact printing the, 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 uh, the negative. It was called a banquet camera because that's really what they were designed to shoot were, were uh, meetings and groups of people, things uh, indoors. Wow. Um, I've got a friend in, in Ireland who uh, has, he shoots with a spin shot. Oh, yeah, very odd Swiss-made camera that uh, is uh, uses one twenty or two twenty film and it rotates. Oh, the but spin the cool shot. Thing is it ta- you get them. It yeah. uses Nikon or Leica lenses oh, wow. because it's got a, it uses a thirty-five millimeter lens that will cover the two and a quarter inch high piece of film. So he's using uh, 
a 35 millimeter PC Nikkor. Yeah, it's got this like cool external controlling box that yeah. you yeah. Well, now they 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 make a digital version of it now, but his is actually the film version. Uh, and he's scanning them on an Emicon scanner and uh, and making large format large prints. Now, it, when I was at Indiana University in the Union, they had these massive panoramic prints of like the classes, and these things were like. I mean, it's been years since I've seen them. They seem to me like they were like eight foot long prints. Mm -hmm. uh, would that have been from the camera that you were talking about earlier? That'd be from a circuit camera. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, I would almost guarantee they'd be circuit. That just, that's, that's what they had to use. For always that. just baffled and fascinated me. Yeah. yeah. You always see like early sports teams or college universities from, you know, the 1800s through the beginning of the 20th century. And I, you know, I mean, it was like, it was funny. Like that was just the common way to take group photos back then. And, and then panoramas came for fell out of favor until probably after the war. I think, you know, the Soviets probably get a little bit of credit for sort of reintroducing, um, you know, the demand in that format. Um, so gosh, Paul, I, I'm going to circle back to that Hasselblad SWC because, uh, you know, I, always considered that to be one of my like dream cameras. I'm, I'm also, you know, we were talking earlier, I think we both love shooting wide and that, you know, I've, I've always been lukewarm about Hasselblad, but I just was like that SWC just seemed so simple and so cool. And that lens seemed fantastic. And I finally had a, uh, I had a, a friend that, that we swapped. I, I loaned him my M3 and he loaned me his SW3 or, or I'm sorry, his uh, SWC. And I, race to put like eight rolls of film through it in a weekend i didn't like that camera at all i could not get along with it really? you know it's like there's very few cameras that i have lusted after oh, and it, felt so sure i was going to just absolutely like you know mortgage the house to get another one of these of my own and then after four rolls i was you know i'm not sure if i like this and after five rolls i was like yeah, i'm gonna give this back to him on monday so for somebody what, what who specifically did you like about it, Anthony? What I, specifically turned you off? I just never gelled with the camera. I just I don't like Hasselblad to begin with. I think they're fiddly. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't like the fact. I think it's crazy that they have uh, the, the the advance on the camera is right next to the advance on the back, and I, and I kept on like absentmindedly turning the wrong advance and <laughs> and skipping frames. And uh, but mostly, I just I mean, I got five or six shots that I really fell in love with, but the rest of them were just, it just didn't do anything for me. I, I couldn't, you know, I had the same problem with that camera that I have with Rolly 35s. I'm a really bad estimator for distance. <laughs> so I, I just could never get what I consider to be the, the correct focal point. And no, it didn't matter how much depth of field I had. I, I was always off by just a little bit. So I'd get one and then I, and I love square negatives. So I'm, I'm fine with that. It's just, I just could not get comfortable with it. So I, I think I've sworn it off now for the last time. I won't. And so it's what, also what front lens? heavy too. I mean, the back is so small. That lens is yeah. so big. Uh, it just has like a weird, awkward balance in your hands. So the SWC, it's got what a 20, what's the focal length of the lens on it? It's a 90 degree angle of view. So it's, yeah. it's a 38 millimeter. 38 angle. millimeter on six by six. Yeah. And then they don't have the interchangeable backs, right? Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Backs. yeah. But the body's narrower. 
Right. Yeah, the body's, only, like, oh, body's like an inch and a half thick. Yeah, okay. And it, it, there's no mirror, so you're focusing, you're you're actually estimating focus, but you're viewing through an external okay. viewfinder. Yeah, I've never seen one in person, but I've seen pictures of them. I knew they were a lot shorter front to back, but then they oh, have that monster wide this. angle. I got it from a buddy of mine up in Cleveland who's uh, also a dealer. And he we did, I don't remember if I bought it from him or we traded something, but he sent me with it a 645 back and the ma- viewfinder mask for the 645 format. What turns out, he didn't realize the viewfinder mask was on the thing when he sent it to me. That those viewfinder masks are just a little piece of metal with the Hasselblad logo on them. They sell for almost three hundred dollars. Wow! And uh, one of our one of the people that we all all four of us know really wanted it. Yeah, it's crazy <laughs> so how the of, tiniest accessory is sometimes worth yeah, yeah. fortune. Yeah, so. my, my my super graphic came with uh, all of the inserts for every back possible i think that graphics ever made i've got a kid of like five inserts for the for the viewfinder and the uh super graphic yeah nice uh so, so theo you you said you ordered the um the the adapter for the mamiya 7 anything else new um not not from buying the two um things so i've been a bit busy with um i've actually had things purchased from me funny enough uh, I, I actually got approached by the australian war memorial and they want to um, they want to purchase some of my uh, well not purchase uh, procure some of my uh, photos from the early uh, 2000s around the the protest which I shot on this lovely beast here which is the the F5 right. uh, yeah so and um, a whole series uh, done there over three or four different protests um, which will be immortalized forever in uh, cold storage um, cold oh. proper storage for the next few right. hundred years. And using exhibitions, so that's actually been um, quite quite good to, for for something to go the other way rather than yeah. me just purchasing equipment that's all the really time. Cool. So, yeah. pardon my uh, ignorance for Australian history. What what were the protests? They were against the involvement in the Afghanistan and Iraqi war, oh, okay. which, considering, is quite topical right yeah, now. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and uh, the war Mem- memorial, the museum, hadn't really captured enough uh material to to document that so uh they wow. reached out to me through uh, my website and uh that's really and, cool uh, yeah that's that's really cool because i mean what else am i going to do with the negatives now so, are you going to uh, get the negatives to print or are you going to print them for them no i'm giving them the negatives i'm actually going to transfer copyright over um as long as the the right credit gets established because i'm not going to really use them anything for anything in particular in the future and you know to have a chance to have something exhibited yeah. um, with my credit against it. I mean, they're even talking about possible, you know, using a picture as a wallpaper in, in the exhibition oh, at cool. some stage. So yeah. um, to have my, my name against that and then to then be stored for something like in a couple hundred years when my descendants could pro- possibly go to an exhibition. Yeah. So this That's is what cool. was happening in, this, you know, in Sydney at the time. Um, and, uh, and the negatives have been preserved for that period. That's that's awesome. Not nearly as spectacular, but Anthony, you had a photo. What was it on the main page of Flickr? Yeah, somehow one of my Kodak medalist shots ended up uh, uh, on the front page of, uh, oh, of wow. Flickr, which uh, you know I, I've always used Flickr well, for about a decade. I use it to sort of catalog all of my shots by camera, and uh, you know usually I'll get seven or eight likes. 
And then suddenly my phone just like blew up and I was getting, you know, a hundred likes an hour. And uh, (laughs) I really didn't, I didn't understand the power even now of being on the front page of Flickr. You know, I, uh, I don't know, like, depending on who you ask, like, is Flickr dead or is it not dead? Like, I can't tell, like, I can't, (laughs) I don't think it's dead. No, I don't think it's dead at all. I, I, I mean, I don't really use it for anything except a dump bin. But uh, I go there quite a lot. I don't have any. I mean, I've got like 30 followers and I follow 30 people. So I'm not I'm not going to look for likes, but I go there because it, I, actually I think the way they display is actually very good. I mean, they're whatever the algorithms, the algorithms they're using, they really do a nice job on it. I, my normal photo site is at uh, SmugMug through my own website okay. my own URL. And and they're not bad either, but Flickr really actually is pretty good. And Flickr keywords are pretty powerful as well. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I'm always searching because I've got thousands and thousands of images up now. And, uh, you know, it's as powerful as like using Adobe Bridge for finding photos quickly by keyword. Yeah. In fact, that's, it's one of, I mean, I have a lot of different resources, but when I do history uh, on camera, sometimes I need an image of something I don't have. And Flickr is one of the first places I'll go. You know, I mean, you could find stuff on Google Images, but the thing I like about Flickr is like I, I can at least ask for, you know, do I have your permission to use this this photo or something? And, you know, I mean, I my philosophy on that is I will always ask. If they say yes, then I'll say, you know, use with permission. If they say no, I don't use it. But if they just don't respond, I say image courtesy of and I provide a link back. And then that way, if they ever do contact me, I could either fix it or, you know, remove it. And it's never once happened because I think a lot of those older pages are, aren't maintained anymore. But I mean, I really like Flickr, you know, and I find it way more useful than like Instagram, but you just, you don't hear about it as much. So it's, that's why I asked, like, is it dead or is it not dead? I mean, I, I think like they've it. been through a lot of different ownership yeah. Yeah. and and that, that the, the continuity on it probably isn't as good as, but you know, what, what are the options? What, what alternatives well, are out there? For- and, and I, and I, I, I don't want to say get angry, but like, you'll find a camera or something that I find interesting and there'll be a discussion group on it. But like <laughs> yeah. the last post is always like 10 years ago. So it's like they, they, they at one time seem to have a thriving community, you know, discussion that seems to have died, but people still use it for hosting photos though. You know, you know I, I post my photos up there under the Creative Commons license, and just by having it on Flickr, um, I've had photos from uh, from uh, Yucatan and Mexico that have uh, I got. Uh, it was selected once for a, a New York Times uh, front page of the travel section, and once by UNESCO uh, because it was from a site that was being uh, considered as a World Heritage site, and they wanted it for their brochure, and actually got like decent money. For that, and then I've also had uh, images picked up for media, like a uh, Food Network actually uh, bought the rights to one of my my photos to use uh, on their website. Yeah, and they, they found all of this by me using the Creative Commons and publishing through uh, through Flickr. Yeah. So you know, even though it's not like you know putting up through Getty, you know, people are still searching through, and it's possible to get commercial work uh, through through Flickr. Yeah. yeah it's actually interesting we're talking about commercial work one one of the projects i'm involved with at the moment is um with a collective here in uh well it's mainly based in australia we do have a, a person based in thailand that's an outlier there but uh it's um 
we're currently doing a project um, based on the lockdown and it's called polarity. It's, um, it's, it's actually literally photographing poles and, and I'm not talking about Polish people. I'm talking about <laughs> poles, you know, poles that, you know, stick out of the ground and hold lights and electricity wires and all those kind of things there. And um, we're sort of making a coffee book magazine type of thing out of it. But the, the interesting um, point is, uh, and this this section of that project's closed, is we're putting together an NFT of 100 of the pole pictures. Oh. Um, so, and we're, we're experimenting in there. And, you know, it's interesting we're talking about copyright because I think that's where the future of images is actually going to go. It's going to be around the M NFTs and the permission and the ownership will be very tightly controlled through through that method. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people are just still trying to wrap their brains around how to use them. You know, I mean, a few people have like, didn't somebody sell the the, the Nyan cat as an NFT or something? Well, that's right, and that, yeah. and that's what we're kind of hoping to do: sell yeah. the, this, you know, this hundred poles thing for for millions, and and then just you know, I think someone said just laugh away on our Bitcoin yachts, but um, yeah, <laughs> which I think is a little bit far fetched. Well, but, what's um, cool about it's quite it interesting. You have a ledger of ownership for that, that in theory could be there forever. I mean, who knows if it will, but you know, in theory that could be forever and people could pass down, you know, like you mentioned that picture of the protest, you know, your ancestors, you know, you are, what's the opposite of ancestors? Your, your later descendants, descendants, you know, could <laughs> one day in theory have an NFT of some of your work, you know, that, that you created, you know? So, I mean, I, I'm super interested in it. I just, I don't know how to use it yet, so I guess I'm kind of playing a wait and see game with it. Yeah, the 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 the, the collective pixels and grains. It's it's led by a couple of people, and um, Alan Ma, who's who's one of the guys sort of um, running this. He's he's sort of helping us guide us through it, and uh, and and doing the technology bit. I'm just sort of providing pictures and going for the ride, and then saying, "Oh, that's how you do it." So the next time, I already know. Um, but it's a quite an interesting process um, it's going through. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I like about this kind of collective. It's, it's sort of starting to reach out into new areas and trying different things rather than the old-fashioned, you know, let's, let's get a bunch of pictures together in a book and, and hope for the best. We are still doing a magazine on this, by the way, so we, we possibly could have contributions still beyond that NFT into the, into the, into the zine that will come out in the future. It's super cool. Yeah, it's funny, you know, us four got together because we all like using old film cameras, but, you know, we're talking about NFTs and, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's so fascinating to see where this hobby goes, you know, and it leads different people down different paths. You know, I mean, you could keep shoe boxes of negatives if you want, or you could, you know, digitize everything you could, you know, the, the sky is the limit as to what you could do with, with photography. And, and, uh, and I just, I, I just find that incredibly fascinating. Well, you yeah. know, it's funny, despite all the fact, the fact you can see, the I, I don't really collect cameras. Uh, I, I don't really have a, any real desire to, to own 100 cameras. I, I probably have maybe 15 or 20 cameras in my permanent collection, but I collect photographs and, and have been for uh, probably 20 years in. And uh, I, at this point, I, I have a, a Cartier-Bresson and a, uh, a Willie Roney, as well as all the Weston, Edward, Cole, and Brett, and uh, and Adams, and 
some others. And, the, you know, I, I have them on the wall. I mean, they're not in a lockbox or a strong room somewhere. They're on the wall so I can see them. That's my problem with an NFT. I'm not sure what I would, what enjoyment I would get from it. Uh, well, aside from the, just the, the NFT is essentially just like, a, like kind of like, a, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't it just be like the certificate of authenticity? It's essentially yeah. the, a digital copyright. I mean, yeah. you, you still have like a physical, a JPEG that could be printed or, you know, it's, it's not like the file only exists within that NFT. The NFT is essentially your ownership to it. You know, so, if if somebody were to try and like reprint your image, you could be like, I own this, the copyright to this image and I can prove it where, you know, it'd be the equivalent, I, I think, of the actual negative, you know, like, be, uh, no, you got to be careful there, too, because the negative still exists. So I had this explained to me the other day. I was it was actually quite good that the actual NFT is you can consider that as a print from the negative. You own that print rather okay. than the actual owner. You can actually own, you know, digital becomes a different story altogether because you the the, the actual raw file can become the, the NFT. But because there's an actual phys- link to the physical world, a lot of film photographers are jumping on board now and shooting, you know, with the old classic cameras, which give you the great results, but allowing this uh, ownership to, you know, you're selling the print um, or you may sell the whole copyright to it and then have to physically send them the, the negative as well. But so at some point that can be what, split. Yeah, You can yeah. pick and choose to what level it, okay. See, I mm. didn't know. We're all starting I didn't know that either. That's, that's interesting. Brett Weston's kid, I can't remember his name right now. He's not a kid anymore. He's in his 50s. But he, uh, he was making prints from... 120 negatives and he would make one print and then staple the negative to the print. And that's what he saw. Wow. Actually not halfway through the image. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he, he didn't care where he stapled it. He was, he would staple it to the print. So it'd be in the lower right hand corner. I'm not even sure he signed them. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, and, wow. And I thought that was just such a gimmick. Yeah. It's just something that, and is the idea that you could never print from that negative again? Because oh no, nice. it was destroyed. I mean, it yeah. had holy smokes! Destroyed. Well, you know, Paula, I'm with you as well. I've, you know, for my entire life, I've I've printed and then traded with other photographers. You know, the, the you know, I'd always, you know, I would even when I was doing shows, um, I would be just as happy just to be able to trade my work for other photographs from other photographers as to sell a print. And uh, now. Um, it, it's kind of a, of a, of a cheap way out and, and they are just glycine prints, but, you know, Magnum photography has been doing these, uh, uh, square print sales where for a hundred dollars, you can get a, a, signed or an estate stamped, uh, six by six, uh, print, uh, from Magnum. And they're, I mean, they claim to be, I mean, I've got several of them. I, 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 they're just, they're really fascinating prints. And, uh, you know, for a hundred dollars to be able to have a, a, a Kappa print or to be able to have a Cartier-Bresson print, yeah. uh, or even more, I mean, through the, uh, through the Magnum sales, I've, you know, followed a dozen different photographers I'd never really heard of before, um, on Instagram. And then when the sales come up, uh, I've just, I, I've just been just absolutely just floored by how cool, uh, you know, be able to acquire new photography for a hundred dollars, even if it's a small print. Uh, but somebody like Jacob Zobel from uh, Denmark or, you know, some of the other younger photographers that have been buying from, or even to get an Alex web print for a hundred dollars. Um, it's just, I, I just delight having them around and being able to see them. And, and, you know, I'll put as much 
emphasis in, you know, I'll probably spend as much on books and prints as I do on cameras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do too nowadays. But I you know, to print swaps were one of my favorite things on uh, on various forums. Rangefinder forum used to do print swaps where, you know, you would uh, they, somebody would would uh, organize it and then they, they would match up. You send him a print, he'll send you one. And uh, I've got a lot of great stuff, things I really enjoy seeing, pinhole pictures and things that are outside, you know, what I would normally do. Absolutely. It, uh, yeah. it's, it's a cool thing to do. I'm not a good photographer. You know, I, I don't think I ever have been. I, I like photography, you know, but um, I love the happy accidents. You know, those ones are always my favorite, you know, where you just happen to like, you know, get something at the the right moment, the right lighting, the right subject matter, the right everything. And, you know, one camera recently that I reviewed that I hated shooting was the the Kemper Combi, but I really liked the images that I got from them. You know, the circular images, they were really lo-fi, but they came out really cool. And, you know, when you shoot with with old cameras, you know, old film cameras, you just, you never know what you're going to get. And I, I think that that like unknown variable is what just infinitely fascinates me, you know, a lot about like what we do, you know, but um, I wish I was a better photographer. You know, I wish I had the time. I, to I think you're underestimating yourself there, Mike, but uh, <laughs> I've seen some of your work. But uh, interesting <laughs> enough, yeah, it's, it's actually interesting when you say that you like the image, because one of the things I did with this project on poles is I actually shot with with this lens here, which um, obviously I'll explain to the, the viewers is a, um, a, uh, Biotar, um, Carl Zeiss Biotar, um, 5.8 centimeter. Um, and what's unique about this lens here is, um, uh, is the, I'll show it down there is the number of blades. This is the old M40 version. So for anyone that's not quite sure and listening, M40 was a, uh, a screw mount that was used by the Practiflex for, I think maybe three years or something ridiculously small like that. And, um, and and the seventeen blades just give you an amazing sense of bokeh and uh, and rendition to to the actual um, image. Now, what's um, what's really uh, interesting on how I ended up with this lens here is I was actually a camera fair in Sydney um, a couple of years ago, and I'm walking past this um, this table, and there's this lens literally sitting just like I'm showing it to you now, no caps on, no nothing, just sitting there on this table, totally ignored. I pick it up and I look at it and the guy goes, oh, look, mate, I, I want to buy a sandwich, um, two bucks and you can have this lens. Um, yeah, and I, I've got no idea what this is. So I'm thinking, okay, great. Oh, two bucks, Carl's Ice. You know, how can you yeah. go wrong? Right. You've, got counting, back, you've got to be counting blades now. Yeah. <laughs> so I took it back. I, um, I, I did a research and thought, oh my God, this thing's selling for an absolute fortune. And I picked yeah. it up for a couple of bucks and all it needed was a little bit of clean. There's a little bit of a mark from, from an old fungus mark on, on one of the there's elements. No, there's no haze in there? There's, there's no haze. It's been, that, it's been cleaned. I mean, have a look at it through there. I, I have mean, such mine. Yeah. Is that I got the same one? That's M40? the same lens, but mine's an exact amount. Okay. Right, okay. Of, of all the lenses I own, this is absolutely my favorite lens. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, keep, it's, it's a it special out. lens. How, how many blades do I want? I'm sorry? How many blades do I want? 17. Uh, I've only got 17 is the most. They also have them with 13. Yeah, that's a later model. Yeah. yeah this one's got, this is an Xacta uh, for my Varex, and it's uh, 14 blades. Yeah, that's, they, they did um, knock down the number of blades uh, once they moved to the uh, 
well, once they moved to M42, but I think they, they obviously continued the exact amounts as well. The closest I can, I can't even touch that. I have, I have an M40 mount, uh, a Tessar. That's probably the closest I can come to that. It's the probably the, what's on, what's on this. Here's, here's an actual Practiflex with that same lens. I think. The Tessar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a five centimeter. No, it's actually a Victor. A Victor. Okay. I have oh, one no, of those in the basement right now that's totally locked up. Yeah. And I'm trying to decide whether it's worth sending it to get it CLA'd. Uh, I had I this CLA'd. They're a lot of fun. The Victor, if I remember correctly, I think uh, Novak shoots with his. I, I, I want to say he has the Victor and he adapted. I, I'll i have to ask him, but I'm pretty sure he he, he posted some images with his. What, did you, what do you do to adapt it? Do you, do you uh, put an adapter on it to go to 42? No, you can't. I actually did ask to get a M42 adapter made, and they said they can't. So it would, I've actually, it would be one millimeter thick on each side. I mean, it would be so fragile. Yeah. yeah. So, so what they what they did do is they made a uh, adapter for me to use on on a Leica, so I can use it on my Leica um, M uh, through an. I think it goes through a couple of adapters, there, but I also had it done for my uh, mirrorless. So as you can, uh-huh. I've, I've just put it onto the mirrorless adapter there, and that's where it's superb. It 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 really you know shines there. You'd almost need to get like a plastic body cap and like Dremel out a hole the exact size of yeah. the forty millimeter, and then screw or use like hot glue or something the lens onto the body cap with the hole, and then use the body cap with an adapter. Like you'd have to hodgepodge yeah. something, but yeah, those. Those like you can do 39, like they make like a thread mount to M42, but they're still incredibly thin. They're thin. But you know, a, the difference is too your flange distance is not always. Yeah, the same. right. You'd have so, to have some kind of um adjustable helix or something in there. Yeah. Oh, what's what, Anthony's got something up there? They it's, are tiny, but it's either 18 or 19 on this biotar. Uh oh. Okay. Oh, it's, there an, you go. It's, a, it's an early exacta. <laughs> there you go. That'll do it. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, they're a beautiful lanes. They're it's absolutely po- it's beautiful a 5.8 F2 uh, Biotar. Uh, this was this is this is one of my best uh, like cheap finds. It was on uh, Facebook Marketplace. It was just a picture. It said old camera, ten dollars. Oh, and nice. I got in my car and drove forty miles as fast as I could. I went into this antique shop that was uh that's completely covered in dust, and it is a beautiful exacta two uh and complete full functioning like all shutter speeds working wow quality condition with the biotar that's what mine mine came on that camera as well the and the camera works great except the film advanced advanced lever return spring is weak ah no this one's this one's fantastic i have a bunch of mine's got got the same problem actually that's interesting is that might be the return you mean yeah 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 that's I, I, about half of mine are weak. Right. It's okay. just, they, I, I think a part of it is the spring gets weakened. Sometimes grit just gets in there and it just doesn't move smoothly. I would love to get one of these days, you know, when I finally like, you know, Paul, you said you have a small collection. I mean, mine's obviously way too big, but I will eventually pare down. And I, I do want to get one of my older exact as like a full restoration, new curtains, you know, Cause I, I really like using them. I mean, they're, they're so slow 
to use left-handed. You got to like think every time you, 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 you're using your exactus, but they're just so much fun and they're just gorgeous. I, I, I love those exactas. Yeah, I had a repair guy actually laugh me out of his shop and I wanted to get mine done. So well, um, I need to find someone. Now, I, don't know, do it. I don't know how to do it at all, but I've been told that they're actually not that hard to work on by people who like know what they're doing. Because I guess the entire shutter crate comes completely out of the camera. So like when you're working on them, you know, and this is coming from people who do this. I couldn't do it. But I've been told that as far as focal plane shutters go, or cameras go, they're not that bad to work on. You just have to know how to get into them, you know. And I mean, I, I tried replacing curtains once on a Fed two, and it, it did not end well. So that is way beyond my ability. But uh, yeah, one of these days I want to get it done. I mean, I do like I have a much later. I have a VX one thousand that works perfectly, and it's a fine camera. Honestly, I really like it. It's got an instant return mirror. You know, the later exact is actually did modernize a bit. Well, since we've got Paul on, I think we should probably talk a little bit about eBay because okay. I think that Paul is like an eBay superstar. Oh. And you know, oh. you're you're a guy that has worked in the camera, you know, worked with cameras and you know, both you know, behind the lens and, and selling them. And now you're 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 buying these old collections and, and moving them through eBay and have, I mean, what, five hundred and some cameras this week which is more than most people would ever sell in their lives. Um, I'm just, I'm curious. I've got a, I've got a, a barista now that's working with me. A uh, young guy who was from Cuba who has been bit by the bug and he just bought an OM one and he bought an ME super. And uh, I, I turned him onto your, your, your eBay site. And I have a feeling that, that I'm going to be paying for all of your sales <laughs> oh. over the next couple of weeks as he uh his eyes are just bulging as he's like looking at your cameras and you know i'm trying to steer him towards you know some of the more obscure cameras so maybe even like you know try a bake light let's get a 120 that you can afford and just to see you know if you like shooting medium formats and like forget getting a holga look at these 1920s bake light cameras from from chicago and uh i'm just i'm curious if you know as somebody who's like selling both newer cameras and older cameras and, and expensive cameras and cheaper cameras. If you've seen any trends lately, I mean, what are people, are, are people buying to use cameras? Are they buying to hoard cameras? What are you, what are you seeing among uh, buyers now? Well, the majority of what I have right now are mid fifties uh, German and Japanese cameras. So I have some, some in the thirties and forties as well, but uh, recently I've been on a kick. I've been on sort of a Leica kick recently, but today I sold a, a Canon AE-1 to uh, a young woman in, San, in Los Angeles who is her first 35 millimeter camera. And she was so excited uh, to get it. And, uh, you know, it was $125 camera and that included an extra 135 Osawa lens. So she, uh, that was, that was pretty cool. But, Really, what I'm selling, I think, you know, are, I sell a lot of Argus cameras to people in in Michigan. You know, they're <laughs> buying uh, they're buying cameras. Was it Grand Rapids, Mike? Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. Ann yeah. Arbor. Uh, so they're going home to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, right now, I think there are 531 listings on eBay. Wow. And I still have about. Uh, I think I still have maybe 300 pieces that I haven't listed yet. I may be a heretic, but I was really trying to nudge him away from the Argus 
<laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I would go for that. Um, you know, I, I don't shoot with those cameras, so I don't know what they're like to load them. I mean, I love the C3. I mean, I, I, you know, I have access to so many cool cameras and honest to God, I've come back to my C3s. I'm not going to say all the time, but I mean, I get the bug about once a year to pull out one of those things, even though, you know, I, I know, you know, people like it's probably good. Johnny's not here, but you know, some people just really don't like them. Uh, they, they're, or, they are ergonomic messes. Um, but there's just something about shooting an old Argus. I just, I, 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 maybe it's my infatuation with history and I love the stories behind them, but I really like to use Arguses. And for anybody who just assumes they suck without actually giving them a try, I definitely recommend at least giving them a try. Harry Potter can't be wrong. Can he? I'm sorry. Say that again. Harry Potter can't be wrong. Can he? Yeah, no Harry Potter. Yeah. (laughs) They had a matchmatic. Uh, it was Ron, Ron Beasley had it right. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed. I know that. I don't like the C44 was actually a pretty cool camera. It too. was. Yeah. They actually got it right. But what's funny is they made that camera uh, pretty good. You know, it's probably the best American rangefinder ever made. But then they, it didn't sell well and they discontinued it and kept making the C3 even after they discontinued yeah. well, the C44. Well, the C44R is actually the one that I, I find that the one that most people want because it's got the rewind. It's got the rewind uh, fold-out handle and the rapid wind, and it's got the um, little post on the front for a meter, yep. which the meters are hardly ever going to be working, so it doesn't really matter. But I had one of those about a year ago. I, I've had a lot of them. This this last collection I bought, the guy was crazy about them. But I had one that had the 50 millimeter 1.9 lens, Yep, which is um, a rare lens. And uh, we have sold, a mutual- Didn't you pedestal. sell that to Ira? I did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that went to him. In fact, you showed that lens to me. That was when I met you in Cincinnati. You still had it, and you showed uh-huh. it to me. Okay, that's uh, uh, work made it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, all the lenses except the stock, the fifty-two point eight was this uh, Centaur. Cint- I don't remember what it Cintagons was. Cinegons were. Cinegon. So- that's it. Yeah, but everything other than that lens. Um, the wide angle, the telephoto, and the one nine were all German lenses for this American camera. Hmm. That's cool. So it doesn't sound like that was the answer you're hoping to get. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I guess it's a really good point though, because you always hear about everybody's going after the AE ones and the K one thousands and such. But you know, I think that there's people out there buying other things too. You know, both to use, collect, shoot. They, they should be well, buying spot medics. Spotmatics, yeah. And, you know, it's, I think it's equal. It, it, a lot of the stuff that's being bought are for p- young people who want to shoot film, and, and that's fine. But you're also selling a lot of it to the decorator market. Yeah. Like, uh, these little cameras, you know, people buy these and they, they put them on display. They don't care if they work or not. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're just there as, and, and Dan Hausman actually taught me this that when you advertise them, you advertise them as mid century modern. MCM. Uh, that's that's the those are the key words that the decorators. That's a good, that's a good eBay tip right there. Yeah. And now this week, eBay tips with Mr. Paul Ryan. <laughs> but does yeah. that mean they t- they turn them into lamps more often, Paul? Oh, lamps! Yeah, lamps. <laughs> I, I would absolutely refuse to sell any camera. Uh, but no, I'm not opposed to using uh, lightsaber making lightsabers out of graph graphite Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, we're, we're we're watching a video of each other, but no one will be able to see this. But what did you hold up in front of the camera just a minute ago? I thought we would play, you know, Snump the Eckman. Okay. And, and I would hold up a camera and Mike would have to, by looking at just this odd shaped camera, to, uh, say what it was. And we, we actually did this earlier and he knew what it was. So, so it it's, took all it's, the joy out of it. For <laughs> Well, I, I didn't get the right version. You you have a variant of it, but uh, it's it's a Virgen uh, addition. He has the Adox. Well, actually, uh, I have both. You have both. Okay. <laughs> so we could we could go either way. They're, either they're the way. same camera. It's just one of them says Virgen and the other one says Adox. Yeah, yeah. I I really like those. I'm a huge fan of almost everything Virgen made. I love their SLRs. In fact, I would argue that the the Virgen Adixa Reflex series are some of the most beautiful German made, or I guess any companies, uh, 35 millimeter SLRs. I mean, they are just gorgeous. Unfortunately, they often don't work. You know, they are plagued a lot by bad shutters that for whatever reason, the body peeling seems to peel off of all of them. So it can be kind of hard to find one in good working condition, but uh, you know, you were just talking about the camera decorators, but, you know, Virgen SLRs are, are really, really cool. And they use the M42 screw mount, um, oh, you know. I, so, I had those, didn't, didn't, I had the, the Adixa, Adixa mats. They, they call them Adixa mat, Adixa reflex. Yeah, I had three of those, the BLs. I think I still have one yep. of them. They are the really BLs. pretty and they have a couple really cool lenses for them. But the cool thing about these these little guys, they made one model of this camera that was a, a nickel, nickel plated. Yep. And rather than stainless steel or whatever this is, pot metal. And that uh, that uh, nickel plating was really very pretty. I mean, it was uh, almost like a pewter color. So I don't know how many people really uh, will, will, will still be listening in December, but my for December 7th, 127 day, my camera review is going to be um the virgin it's the gay g-e-w-i-r-e-t-t-e it That's looks a really beautiful camera it looks very similar to the Adixa, but it's 127 and i don't i don't have my handy but and it probably wouldn't matter to have paul hold his up to a screen and nobody can see it but uh the camera is actually the same height but it's a lot narrower mm-hmm. you know it's very narrow um and I can't remember the Adix is a bottom loader, right? Yeah. The the this one is a top loader. So you actually remove oh, the, uh, the top yeah. to get to the film compartment. That's so here's odd. the 127 spool. So it's, it's the same concept as a bottom loader, except for whatever reason, and I don't know why. But I mean you can see there's there's the viewfinder. It comes off from the top. So uh, anybody who ever comes across one of these, and they did make an ADOX version of it too. There's a lot of these that are not branded. Um, but um, yeah. It looks it, about the size of a, of a robot too. I think it's actually smaller, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't have anything here to give you guys a sense of scale. Here, here's a 110 cassette. It's, wow. it's barely, like we're talking two millimeters wider than a 110 cassette so for, just for scale if you can picture that in your head but these things are neat but so that'll be my 127 day review this camera was a lot of fun to shoot it's so small and it's a collapsible lens so when you have it collapsed i mean this thing is it's tiny you know yeah. yet it shoots three by four centimeter images 
Well, I've got a, a stump the expert question because this last week on one of the, the Facebook forums, uh, people were just throwing out suggestions for what would be a good camera to learn 120, right? If I want a, a medium format camera, uh, what should I get? And of course, everybody's throwing out, you know, Mamiya, you know, these thousand dollar cameras. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, Voigtlander Procaro 2 <laughs> or the, the, the Leotax MAR that you can pick up for $130. So I'm curious if, uh, if you could recommend a, a, a 120 camera uh, that was under $200, uh, what would you go for? And it's kind of hard not to go with a TLR. Um, yeah. So are, are we? If we're not, if we're including TLRs, I'm going to go with some anything Yashica made. Um, I really love the Yashica D. The reason I like the D is it's not the automat kind, um, so it's less likely to break. Um, I, my Yashica D, the the viewing screen on it is probably the brightest of any TLR I've ever used. You know, with a stock screen. Uh, but if you're talking non TLRs, like a folding camera. Um, I gotta, I really love the Ansco folders, the speed X's, uh, you can find them for way cheaper than 200. In fact, you could probably find one for 20 bucks, at least in America, you know, they might be harder to find. I don't know if Theo ever sees those, but the, the Agfa Isolette was the Agfa version, the Ansco speed X's they're wonderful folding six by six cameras. Uh, you can find them for dirt cheap and they always have good lenses on them. It's usually a triplet. But they're usually very, very nice triplet lenses. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I agree with both of you on, on those um, of the folders that both the, I've got the Isolette and the Pucal, um both uh, in the collection. But another one is actually the, the Bessel One, the Voigtlander Bessel One, the, yeah. um, the non range find. Yeah, if you're going cheap, the non range finder version. Well, um, six by nine, you can't, you know, you can't beat that. It, the best is are, are really good. You know, and you mentioned the Perkio and I, I really do love the Perkio. I love, it's got the, I have the Perkio too. It's got the built-in frame counter. Um, mm -hmm. the, my only knock against those though, is they, they do tend to be a little temperamental, especially if they're not working correctly. Like I know that kind of applies to anything. If it's not working, you know, it's a problem, but yeah. um, you know, the, the Ansco's, if there's a problem with them, they just need to be cleaned. Like assuming you can clean them, they're going to work. Whereas my only con to the, the Footlanders is that they can sometimes be very temperamental to use. Uh, but you're right though. Other than that, you get a good working Perkyo. That is probably one of the best six by six folding yeah. cameras. I think I've ever shot. It's just it harder to find everything. Right. They're, they are smaller. The Perkyo is slightly small. In fact, I, in my review for one, I had a Vito and the Perkio, and then I actually had my Speedex right next to it. And the Speedex is the largest of the three. Yeah. The Vito, of course, is 35 millimeter, but it's amazing how small they were able to make the Perkio too. So, so I, I've overcomplicated the answer to your questions. <laughs> if, if you want to just get into the medium format, TLRs are probably the way to go, especially if you're new, you're going to be attracted to the look of them. I mean, the, the TLRs just look freaking cool. Even if you're not into photography, people are going to see it and be like, wow, that's neat. Uh, and I, and got, I got my Flexorette 6 off of eBay uh, from, from Coupog. Yeah. Paid $114 for it. And looking you know, when I, when I look at the photos that I've, I've shot with that camera, I'm 
always blown away. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, if I, if I were to stage a, just like a, a side-by-side of that right. shot with my Rolly, uh, I don't think that any sane person can tell you that one was better than the other. Yeah. I mean, I think the one takeaway, you know, whether it's a Yashica D, whether it's a SpeedX, whether it's a Flexorette, I think the biggest takeaway is if you're interested in getting into medium format, you do not need to spend thousands of dollars on a huge Mamiya RB67. I mean, you could. You know, there's plenty of ways to blow money on medium format, but if you're just looking to try it, get uh, a Yashica TLR, find one of the many, many excellent folding six by six cameras, six by nines. Uh, You, Anthony, you and I are both huge fans of the six by four and a half. You know, a lot of the Japanese, the semi cameras. That Leotech semi is a jewel. The Leotech semi, the Curry, the Curry Bayashi Kararan, which is Petri. There's one called the Zenobia, which is kind of hard to find, but if you can find them, they're, they're fantastic. Well, I even, I picked up a, a Zeiss Netar, like a 1960s Zeiss Netar, and um, it's like an AK-47. I mean, this thing is just always going to work. Yeah. Um, and I think I paid $15 for it. Yep. And I think of how much film I could buy with the difference yeah. from what I paid with that Netar to, you know, an RB, you know, it's just like, and, and, and again, the quality of those images, those are solid. Really cameras. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it may not be the, it may not be the fanciest lens Zeiss ever made, but a mediocre Zeiss lens is still a really freaking good lens. Yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, you get back to the Raleigh 35, you know, the, the 35 B, the later ones had the triotar, I think, is that right? Yeah. A real simple triplet and they, they make fantastic images. So the only yeah. thing I would recommend is um, don't go too cheap or too too unique because I mean I, I bought this as a recent purchase. <laughs> Lubitel, yeah, I wouldn't recommend a new user go straight into a Lubitel. That's that, that's maybe something that you um that you what's, do after you play around a bit for. What's great about the Lubitels though is they do deliver a distinct image. So they I do. would I would definitely I agree with you. I would not recommend a Lubitel for the first time user, even though someone will point out that billions of Soviet people, quadrillions of people from the Soviet <laughs> Union started out uh, with a Lubitel um, for today's shooter. I probably wouldn't pick that one first. How about uh, a Pearl River? Pearl River, the Chinese ones. Yeah, um, I've never shot one, believe it or not. I saw, actually sold them. They were distributed in the U.S. by mm-hmm. Prenz or AmCam. And the problem with them was the cameras were actually pretty good, but the cases were made of leather that wasn't properly cured. And when you open the box, the, uh, uh, they should have come with some sort of deodorizer. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, no. Were they it mold? Was, it was really bad. Would they get mold in there? No, they didn't get mold. It's just that the, the leather on the case was... Okay. was uh, sort of rancid so would you i mean is it fair to make an assessment that the chinese back then were they like at least on par with soviet cameras or mechanically i have a friend who uh he lives in this country now but he his father was a photographer in china and uh he was his father used leicas uh but he did not really have a high opinion of, of the Chinese made cameras though. And this is, I'm talking about fifties era Chinese cameras, because nowadays the Chinese cameras are, or the Chinese optics anyway, are, are quite good. Uh, but 
the the cameras were were poor. They were equivalent to East German copies of yeah. West German cameras, basically, uh, and and did not he did not have a high opinion of them. Yeah, for for whatever reason, you just don't see too many of them. I mean, I know I've that, never shot. I've never shot a vintage Chinese. I mean, I know that they're the seagulls and a few of the others are. I have a seagull of the folding six by six seagull. I have one of those. I've shot it and I got good images. Um, And I have a great wall, the six by six SLR. I don't have it handy. That one's on loan to me by um, a reader of this site. And I want to have that one ready for uh, next Chinese new year. Um, I think that, you know, I think the, 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 and uh, Vlad would know more about this, but I, the culture of photography in Russia was much greater than the yeah. culture of photography in China. It was a status uh, symbol, I think, for a lot of people then, you know, just to have a camera. Um, and it was just, I, I just, there were so many people, there were so many different models, I should say, you know, different options. I mean, I don't, I don't know that too many people could afford, you know, a Leningrad, but um, that's why there's so many Lubatels and, you know, all those, the Sminas. But Michael, I have to throw you out a challenge to review. Uh-oh. Okay, what's Helena. You, I need to see you. The Helena. Helena. <laughs> <laughs> That's become like the de rigueur, you know, uh, redheaded stepchild camera lately. <laughs> More so than the Argus. I don't have a Helena, believe it or not, either. I one they've they've alluded yeah. to. I've I've got I've got one here. They're actually uh, a really pretty camera, funny enough. Um, but they're really cheaply made, and this one's seized up now. Actually, it's been sitting on the shelf for too long. But um, it's the the Helena thirty five X. Oh, so, okay. It's not the, the exact store. camera, but I've had bad luck with the packs, the PAX. Yeah, it looks like a Petri. Those things, yeah. those things it almost does, never actually. work yeah. either. <laughs> yeah. It's a Petri I mean, packs. Yeah, they got the they got the um, the red dots. So yeah, yeah. If you, if you're quick enough, you might convince if, someone that it's something if a bit you're, more. But <laughs> if you're drunk enough and you're moving fast enough and blind enough, you might think it's a Leica. <laughs> yeah, but this thing's just about seized up, so uh, it's just been sitting there, and um, it was working when I got it. it. It's bizarre that you know by itself, it's just decided it was going to not work any longer. I will add it to the queue. <laughs> my um recent camera that was sent to me that i'm actually really excited to try out i didn't even know it existed before someone showed it to me is the uh agfa optima sensor it's the flash oh they're cool they're cool it's got the pop-up flash so i mean it kind of looks like like sort of like an slr i guess you know a small slr it's got a big you know flash on top the viewfinder is huge absolutely monstrous like i mean i can hold it up like this and see you know the entire laptop screen and everything behind it it's got access huge orange shutter release button you know it's manual wind i mean it, i don't think i don't have it on we have to wait for the flash to work here and then maybe it's broken I don't know. No, this works somewhere. I'm just, I'm not using it right. But I, I think that one's pretty cool. So that'll be probably my next camera to shoot. Um, apparently, um, apparently that sensor range is also very star-wise. Someone did a comparison. I can't remember who it was. Um, comparison to the Makina. Um, not the Flash yeah. version. The, the other one. The, the actual that. styling is very similar to, similar to the Makina. What's really neat about these, I think all the Optimas are this way. The film advance lever is also the rewind lever. So when you advance film, you wind the lever like you would a normal camera. And then when you reach the end of the roll, you switch it into reverse mode. 
and somehow it flip-flops like it like what like at a transmission or something it starts rewinding the film using the lever so you rewind it oh wow by winding the film advance lever that's cool well there you go right did you see the flash yes (laughs) if anybody can hear it maybe i don't know if that's going to pick up a microphone but anyway neat camera um, I don't know. We didn't get the chance to ask Anthony. Did you get anything new or did we already ask? I can't remember. Uh, well, I, I kind of went back to my roots. I, uh, on some kind of crazy auction site that mainly handles firearms and ammunition. Um, there was a lonely Olympus R, or 35 RC and nobody was bidding on it. And so I bid $5 and got a like new. Wow. Oh, 35 nice. rc the rcs are and nice for me it's it was a it was it was kind of funny. as soon as i put it in my hand i had this like rush of memories because one of the first cameras i ever used my my father gave me his 35 ec when i was like 15 years old and i stuck it into concerts i used it to photograph blondie and devo and the pretenders and like all of these bands back in the 1970s and then when i was uh and a high school trip to the Yucatan, I got thrown into the swimming pool while I had while I had the camera in my hand, and it has just been a paperweight ever since. Oh, um, and uh, and this was my like this is like a return to that, and I've just been having a blast shooting it. And it works well. Yeah, I mean the the uh, the meter's off. Uh, so I, all I did today was uh, I, I ran another roll through it today, and I was. Uh, I just used a, an external light meter and, and just tweaked the ISO until it matched what I needed. Well, is it off because of the batteries though? I mean, I, that would have been a mercury battery originally, right? Well, I had a wine cell on it and I threw a, an L44 in it and it didn't seem to make any difference okay. at all. Um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about sending it off to John at, at Zuiko.com. It'd be like $90 to get it overhauled. Uh, but considering I only paid five dollars for it, yeah, you know, maybe to get that camera in like pristine condition with the uh, the, the voltage adjustment for the modern batteries, uh, you know, it might be worth it because this camera is a kind of a it's it's kind of a sleeper, you know. It's because I also have a, a friend gave me an SP with a dead meter, and it's just too big, you know, it's just too big and and heavy for what yeah. you get. Um, yeah, but the, but that RC for me, I, I love small cameras. I, I, I love, yeah. You know, I just it's I not just, that much bigger than a trip, right? No, it's not, not at yeah. all. Because the trip um, is small, but with a better lens. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. that I've been I, I've run uh, three rolls through that in two days. Excellent. Um, so that's been my 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 weekly uh, fix. Sweet. All right. Well, we are, uh, we've actually gone over an hour. So um, I wanted to thank you guys for, uh, you know, being here this week. Um, uh, I think, Mike, before you close off, you do have to explain one thing to the listeners. Sure. What's that? Uh, Not everybody will know what camerosity is. Oh, Uh, yeah. uh, That might be worth explaining. Okay. Um, So I wanted to, you know, I'd I'd wanted to, this goes back, you know, I'm going to start with a long story here. You know, my website is, is mikeeckman.com. And for the longest time, I wanted to have a cool name for it, you know, just because I didn't think like my name, like, you know, meant people would would find camera reviews. And, um, you know, you guys know that I like history and I write a lot about stories of cameras, but uh, around 1940, Kodak decided to come up with like a, a dating, a, like a date code system that they would put on on a lot of their lenses and bodies um, to indicate the year that they were made. So they invented 
uh, the Camerosity date code, which if you spell it out, C-A-M-E-R-O-S-I-T-Y, um, each one of those letters represents the numbers one through nine and then zero. So C is one, A is two, M, three, E, et cetera. So if you find uh, a camera or a lens and it's made by Kodak and let's say it has a date code of EE, uh, that means it was made in 1944. Um, they started that in like 1940. Um, the Kodak 35s, you know, ones that were made in the 38 and 39 won't have the code, but pretty much everything 40 and on will. And they did that until probably the mid 50s, I'd guess. At some point, they did eventually stop doing that. But I thought that would be a cool name for the website. Unfortunately, Definitely. the domain name uh, is not available. I, I actually did track down the guy who owns the rights to Camerosity.com. And when I offered to buy it from him, he laughed at me and said, you couldn't afford what I want for it. Uh, so apparently uh, the domain name is is worth a lot of money, but I figured I'd, I, he couldn't stop me from creating a podcast with that name. So, um, you know, I wanted to create the Camerosity podcast um, and I, I thought that that was an appropriate name because, you know, like I said, I like history. Uh, and if you actually look, I don't know if, if you can even notice, but in, in the logo, I have Camerosity and the numbers that correspond to it kind of a and I like a light gray in the background, but I think it's cool. I think it has a good ring to it. It's it, very cool. It sort of sounds like camera. Plus it's also true to my infatuation with, uh, with the history of cameras. Um, that's a good question. I, I think someone asked, um, I actually, I, I've, I had a couple people email me real quick, I guess, before we go, um, you know, mostly just saying, you know, they liked the first episode. Uh, Michael Lawrence said, good luck, and hopefully you'll rise above a lot of the muck that's out there. I've enjoyed your reviews for some time now. Eric Reese set off to a good start. Uh, he appreciated that we talked about the Argus C3 and uh, some American cameras. And um, a guy named Kevin, didn't give his last name, said uh, he enjoyed the podcast, but he asked if we would ever live stream the video uh, you know, most of the time when people do these podcasts, like we were on Zoom and we can see each other. Um, and I think it'd be fun. I think it could be a lot of fun to have a video version of this. But I tell you, video editing is just not something I want to take up right now um, to, to be able to make anything look even remotely professional with with a YouTube live stream, I think, is beyond what I could do. But uh, uh, it was I might a have question. to put on pants to do it. Yeah, we'd have to uh -oh. put pants on. I'm wearing a Tom and Jerry T-shirt right now. So, <laughs> When do you think we'll have a call-in feature? Yeah, so that's the plan. Uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to start it next week. So with this episode, we'll be. Um, I'm going to post this, and I want to make sure that I fully can get uh, how Podbean hosts this because um, it was a lot of work to get the first episode up. So if I can get this one up without any issue, um, I think maybe this weekend, Sunday, maybe Monday, daytime um i'm gonna put a link to zoom out there and uh see if we can get anybody to just connect in in the middle of the call and uh, you could ask whatever questions you want um who knows how it will go i don't think there's ever been a film photography podcast that's had people calling in before um but we'll we'll give it a shot and and see what happens so is there anything else i miss <laughs> I need Anthony and Theo to remind me of the stuff I wanted to talk about. <laughs> no, I just uh, thought I'd, I'd ask that question. Because that's a good question. People, some people might not know what Camerosity actually meant. Paul, what's your eBay store name? 
Paul Chris, P-A-U-L-K-R-I-S. Paul Chris at the eBay store. Like Anthony said, he's got at least 500 things up for sale. His prices are very reasonable. They're not going to be the cheapest you could find, but he will 100% stand behind everything he sells. You're buying quality stuff. Um, he's, I mean, without going into it, I mean, he's, he shared stories with me where he's gone above and beyond to make people happy. So I I would be shocked if anybody would buy something from him and not be a hundred percent happy with their purchase. I've bought stuff before. In fact, I bought some film off you and you're like, uh, you know, that was me, right? I was like, yeah, I thought I should pay what you asked for something for a change. Uh, (laughs) I didn't know I, if it did, it slipped right past me. I bought some Ilford film off of you. Oh, uh, okay. And, and you were like, because I, I don't use my real name as my eBay name. So he's like, Mike, you realize it's it's me, Paul, right? And I'm like, That's yeah, funny. Well, I Kurt Ingham made me an offer on something. And uh, and I knew who he was, but he didn't realize it was me. Okay. And he made me an offer and I came back and offered him. I, I made him a counter offer. that was $5 less <laughs> than his offer. And uh he uh, at that point he he was taken aback by it, and then he he realized who it was. So we had a we had a good laugh over that. That's too funny. So uh, Theo, you are at photothinking.com. Any any other way people can get a hold of you? Uh, that's the best way to get hold of me. And uh, if anyone's interested, look up pixels and grain. Yeah, uh, I want to hear more collective. about that. The collective, the poll shots, and then especially those uh, protest pictures. Once you find out what's going to happen with those, sure, we'll do. And Anthony. Uh, mostly on Instagram, uh, it's Kino underscore Pravda. And, uh, and then on Flickr, uh, just search for my name, Anthony Rue, R-U-E. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks again. Okay. Um, you have a good week and uh, we'll see what happens next week. So if, if, you're, if you've made it this far into the podcast, stay tuned to next week and maybe you can actually talk to us. <laughs>